Welcome to Go Beyond Fundraising, the podcast that's here to address your challenges head on. Brought to you by the combined forces of Pursuant and Allegiance Group, we're diving deep into the world of marketing and fundraising to help you overcome obstacles, unlock new opportunities, and make an even greater impact on the world. Calling all fundraisers. Are you navigating nonprofit uncertainty? Say goodbye to guesswork with the 2023-2024 Giving Outlook, your lifeline in these unpredictable times. Get expert insights, industry trends, and fresh ideas to boost your fundraising game. Sign up today and unlock a treasure trove of knowledge. Don't miss this chance to connect with fellow professionals and supercharge your strategies. Visit pursuant.com and teamallegiance.com to download the latest Giving Outlook today. Thank you for joining us for today's conversation, really diving into transformational change and taking that one step further to even unpack what does it look like to start to scale impact and embrace your true authenticity. And I'm really excited to be joined today in this conversation by Michelle Romero from Dream.org. Michelle is a friend and a fellow change agent and social justice warrior. Michelle is actually the chief strategy officer at Dream.org and has really been leading some meaningful conversations around what transformative change is and how to approach that in a really authentic way. Michelle, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about just how we in the nonprofit sector can play bigger. I love that. You and I have had some really cool conversations about this over the last few weeks. And I'm really excited today to dive a little bit deeper into the journey that you have been on at Dream.org and what that transformation has looked like to start to scale impact for the organization while maintaining authenticity, but looking at doing that in a more compelling and transformative way. So would love to dive in. Uh, we're going to go we're gonna go hot topic right out the gate because I really want to hear from you, Michelle. As organizations are embarking on reevaluating their missions post-pandemic and the, the new normal that we're living in today and all the changes that we're all navigating in, a, in the philanthropic space, how can organizations start to identify what their unique value is and their unique opportunity to embrace impact and change while still staying really true and authentic to their core purpose? Dream.org serves low-income communities and communities of color, including justice-impacted folks, right? Folks who've been affected by the system of mass incarceration. And so when you're dealing with vulnerable communities, oftentimes you do feel the burden of trying to serve all of their needs. And so I love the way that you frame that. Just how do you really focus on what it is that you really can offer and the thing that you do best? And I think right now, if the pandemic has taught us anything. It's that there are some things that are just way out of our control. And I think sometimes historically in the social justice space in particular, we have this mentality that if we could just organize enough people that we can make change, that we're going to get everyone together and we're going to make change, whether that's stopping something really bad or creating something good. And I think the reality is that technology and the pace of technological innovation is just way faster than anything we can do in the nonprofit space. The worsening sort of effects of the climate crisis and extreme weather and the sort of scale of the impact that has on everything from our food supply chains to travel, just everything about our daily lives. It's unrealistic at this point, right? To think that model is enough to tackle these major systems. And so I think that 
post-pandemic, as people are thinking about what they really can do, it's stay responsive, right? Mm -hmm. But be agile. This digital era has information and change coming at us and at our communities all of the time. And so being able to be more flexible, more nimble, and evolve. I think that too, evolve. It's really time to break out of the way things have always been and the way we wound up and really think about the future we're trying to create and who we need to be in order to do that now. I love that. And I really appreciate you saying, thinking about who we need to be now to create Mm -hmm. that future, right? So for organizations thinking about who we are today and who we want to be and some of the real changes that you have to put into place to make that happen. One of the things I remember you sharing with me, Michelle, that it has stuck in full transparency, fangirl moment. I put it on a post-it and it's up on my board and I look at it every single day. But it's this incredible motto that you shared, live free, lead free others. And I just think that it's so, it's compelling, it's it's inspiring, and it's true. It's real in in how we need to be leading our organizations and how it applies to both personal growth, but organizational impact. Will you elaborate for us a little bit on that motto, how you came to that and, and what you think about that? As a social justice advocate, I knew I wanted to make a positive impact. I knew I cared about social justice. I wanted communities of color and communities that I came from to have greater access to opportunity. And it stemmed from some of my own personal experiences, right? Going through my educational uh, career, there were times, I'll tell you, I'll just tell you, I never graduated high school. I graduated college with honors, but I never graduated high school. And it is really was no fault of my own. I was the kid who school always came easy for, but I transferred schools the summer before my senior year. And the school district I transferred into I was predominantly serving a Mexican community. And this school just had absolutely no interest in understanding the college coursework I'd been doing as a junior in high school and all of this sort of stuff. And just insisted I be behind, insisted I retake my junior year classes and go to Saturday school and all these sort of things to try and graduate with my grade. And I thought it was absurd, but I didn't have the language, the tools to really advocate for myself at that point. And I remember petitioning the school district and trying to see if I could maybe transfer to another school that was work with me here and understand that I had really actually been in college full time as a 16 year old. And right. so there's got to be something workable here. And just seeing the economic disparities between the school district that I was part of and the next school district over having new BMWs in the student parking lot and just like <laughs> The visual representations of from one community to the next, the opportunities being fundamentally different and what you do and don't have access to. And so I knew for me that something was wrong. The system was broken. I was just a kid who wanted to go to school. What? Like, how is this not possible? And so that really put me on the path to working in systems change, to working in policy change and to how we create the rules that will actually allow people opportunities. So very much this sort of philosophy for me of, live free, lead free, and free others started for me with helping other people never be in the situation that I was in, right? Feeling limited, feeling Mm -hmm. held back, um, just simply because the way the rules were written about what opportunities I could or couldn't have, and also probably racism (laughs) in terms of how helpful they were going to be with me versus someone else. But that was really what fueled my work in the social justice space. But I have to say, after years and years of working in this space, After helping to pass policies and helping to rewrite the rules and expand opportunities, I went through a real transformation on a personal level this past year. 
And I realized that while I was doing all of this work externally, I still was someone who was very much living with my own limiting beliefs about the life I could create for myself. And so for me, you know, my personal mission now is really to be able to live the life that I preach, right? To live the life free from the beliefs that have held me back and in my leadership too, right? To lead more boldly even um, without the sort of unhealed wounds of the past getting in the way of how we lead. And I really believe that's ultimately how we can make our biggest impact in terms of freeing others from limitations. I love that. And it's a perfect segue into a couple of the programs that I want to celebrate and also learn more about. I think your story and your journey and one, how you advance change and social justice and impact is incredible. But to your point, freeing others and bringing others and equipping them to also make an impact in that space is incredible. Dream.org's Justice Innovation Prize. So, so incredible. I know it focuses on disrupting mass incarceration. I'd love to learn a little bit more about how this program really empowers innovators to make a significant impact in the social justice space and bringing others along. Dream.org is working to end mass incarceration and build a more inclusive green economy. We really dream of a world beyond poverty, pollution, prisons, and polarization. And the Justice Innovation Prize provides a vehicle, basically, to call all innovators, people who have big ideas for how to disrupt mass incarceration and offer their alternatives. I think a lot of times when we talk about communities of color and low-income communities, we talk about the disproportionate harm that happens, whether they're most affected by economic downturns or pollution and poverty and all these sorts of things. And that's true, but we don't talk enough about the talent and genius that exists. And we also don't talk enough about the solutions that are going to take a big enough swing at the systemic problems that we face. And the Justice Innovation Prize was basically a $1 million prize where we put out a national call for folks to share their ideas of what they're doing to disrupt the incarceration system and create more empathy and more um, restoration as people are coming out. And we are excited to be able to announce our winners soon. You should check out dream.org if you want to look at who some of the finalists are. And ultimately award the prize too. But yeah, it's really exciting. People are just doing some really incredible work around this. And we hope to, I think, build an ecosystem of justice tech innovators and people who can start to tackle this problem that we've, I think, accepted for too long as just something that's here to stay. Absolutely. Can you give us a little sneak peek of when those winners will be announced? Yeah, so we are going to have our five finalists on the SOCAP stage. Uh, at the end of October. And so right. they are going to do live pitches and we'll have our really esteemed judge panel make the final selection and award it there at the SOCAP stage in October. Oh my, that's super exciting. All right, we'll be keeping an eye out and uh, eager to share those updates with our group as well. The other area that I wanted to dive into you was the, you know, we've brought up climate change a couple of times, which is personally a huge priority. I wanted to talk a little bit about Dream.org's Climate Tech Launchpad and how it is really in such an incredible and meaningful way supporting Black and Brown innovators in the fight against climate change. Will you share a little bit about that program as well? We work with the best and brightest in our communities, and we really are just trying to get behind them and help change the way people come together to support Black and Brown innovators. And so we launched a Climate Tech Launchpad, which is supporting 10 
entrepreneurs, basically, who have climate tech innovations to bring to to the market and um, are providing them milestone development and mentorship, but really intensive investor readiness training, too, so that they know when is the right time actually to start seeking investors and how to prepare a really good pitch for an investor audience. And those 10 innovators we've got, our cohort is Black and Latinx only. So they're all and 70% women. And so for folks who say, I can't find these people, like, okay, <laughs> we find them and they're brilliant. You should come. Yeah. So we're going to actually have them out at Burge, at the Green Biz Burge event, also at the end of October. I'm telling you that whole week is just going to be a week of innovation at dream.org as we showcase our climate tech innovators and present some seed funding to them as well and connect them with other investors. That is so exciting and so incredible. And congratulations, too, for continuing to advance that incredible mission. I know for you that you all had to make some hard choices and changes to really get to this place of being able to impact systemic change and really making sure that your mission was transformative in its impact. And you hadn't sacrificed and, and scale away from certain localized programs, different things like that to be able to get to the type of organization you wanted to be. Will you share a little bit about that journey with us, some of those hard choices you had to make and any recommendations you'd give to other organizations having that conversation today? I came to dream.org to help rebuild its Green for All program. And at the time, Green for All was an initiative that was barely struggling to make ends meet and continue to do the important work that it was doing. And we turned that initiative around. I was able to increase the annual budget actually for that by 100% in the first two years that I took over. And we really set a new strategy and put it on a course to grow and scale. And so in the middle of the pandemic, we had just secured one of our largest grants ever, $10 million from the Bezos Earth Fund. And we were just in this moment of really needing to scale. That gift was like the size of our entire organization's budget at the time. (laughs) So we had to level up, right? It was out of necessity that we had this opportunity. And so we took a moment to just authentically listen to, and I talk about authenticity and authentic listening, but to listen to ourselves as an organization and say, what is actually the deepest impact that we can make? Who are we in the world? What is it that we're trying to offer? And we realized that we're a systems change organization. And we realized that for a while we were trying to be some other things whether that's collective action or movement building, there were components of those things that showed up in different places in the organization. But at the core, an organization that dreams of a world beyond poverty and pollution and some of these like major sort of systemic issues can be nothing other than a systems change organization, right? And so so when we finally realized that and accepted that and owned it, it fundamentally changed how we approached our programs. And so at the time you mentioned the program, We had a program, one of our tech programs was helping black and brown talent enter the tech sector. And so we would find them, train them. It was an eight to 10 week training program, connect them to employers who had ready jobs. They would interview and be placed there. And it was successful by all measures, honestly. By your traditional nonprofit standards, it was a success. The people who came into the program were exactly the people we were trying to serve. The companies that they were landing at were major companies like Target, PwC, et cetera. And they would start, sometimes, some of them were going from like retail jobs to entry-level software engineering jobs, right? And putting them on a career track. And so there were yeah. average salary increase was over 30,000 after a 10-week training program. So for the people that were in the program, 
it was 100% meeting all marks on the impact side. As a systems change organization, we now needed to take a step back and say, what actually are we trying to achieve here? And what we were trying to achieve at the time, what we thought, was to diversify the tech sector. And so when you started to take a look at the size of the problem and the gap, the proportional representation gap that exists in tech, and the fact that at the time, too, we were doing these training cohorts for different types of jobs at different types of companies, probably wasn't focusing all of our efforts enough to make an impact, at least in one particular area. We realized, look, in our best year, we might have 100 people that we put on this career path, but is that going to move the needle? Is it going right. to tip the scales in any way? And the answer was probably not, probably not, especially given that there were still workplace diversity issues with retention and things that were beyond what we could do once they got in the door. And we shifted. And it was hard because at that time, like I said, the program was meeting its impact mark, That's right? Successful. And so- For everyone working on that program and for folks at the organization, our board, et cetera, to have to do that education to say, yes, we are. We're killing it on the things that we're doing now. Yeah. But what is the future we're trying to create? And is this going to help us get there? And if not, are we willing to let it go so that we can focus our time and resources on something else? And the bet that we made, the pivot we made was actually to start working more with the clean tech and the justice tech innovators and entrepreneurs. And specifically in the climate tech space, I think that the opportunity here is that when you think back to the dot-com boom and everyone who made their money out of computers in the digital era, those are our billionaires today, right? Like Those are our billionaires today. So now that we're making this big transition, this big economic transition to a green, more sustainable economy, if we can actually get behind the innovators of today who are going to be those leaders of tomorrow... That has the potential actually to make more of a difference, both for closing the wealth gap and the diversity in these new economic sectors than anything we could be doing trying to catch up to the old system, right? right? We got to get on the cutting edge of the new system. And so it's those sorts of things, Ah. I think, that are a risk, but are Mm -hmm. required too if we really want to play bigger. Yeah. Absolutely. And applaud you for the bold leadership it takes to have those conversations and take that risk. I know it's paying off and and you are really impacting significant change. Uh, thinking about your leadership style, I'll, I'll tell you real quick, a couple of weeks ago, I went to the TNPA Leadership Summit in DC and I quoted you a couple of times because I, I think one of the things that today's leader really should be taking into consideration is, is what it looks like to not be the loudest voice in the room sometimes. And I think this is something that you really advocate for in your leadership philosophy, where you talk about really making space for other voices and encouraging others to find their voice and find their sort of unique magic when highlighting that leaders don't necessarily need to be the the loudest voice in in the room. How have you found that to be successful in in terms of approaching and encouraging diverse voices, up-and-coming leaders? to start to provide more contributions and input at at Dream.org. And have you felt like that's been really valuable as you've been making some of these big changes? Some things can only be said by people who have direct experience. And some things would never be said by someone who hadn't had that because it's just not something they would have ever thought of. And so I think more than whether you're allowed, if you're a loud person, be the loud voice. (laughs) I mean, I think that's okay. I think that it's more about being yourself 
I remember when I first started working in the environmental space, I actually, I had been working on immigration rights. I'd been working on voting rights, access to higher education. I'd never really worked on environmental issues. And so I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder coming into the movement because I wasn't totally sure yet that it would be something I was passionate about because from the outside looking in, I thought it was for white hippie tree huggers. I didn't know yet the sort of social justice connection. Rest assured, we do things differently at dream.org. And so that wasn't a problem. But because of that, because I didn't walk in with this environmental background, I would enter these rooms with CEOs and different executive directors of different nonprofits talking about policy and sit there with a thought that I wouldn't say initially. I wanted to bring up something about equity that felt so obvious to me. But because it felt so obvious, I sat there for many minutes wondering if it was something that was so obvious, everyone's already got it. And I'm just, it would sound too basic. There's going to be a value add. Yeah. I had to get out of my head and say, it's really not about what I look like, right? It's not about, do I look stupid or not? It's just say the thing. Let's just see what happens. And I said the thing. And I remember the reactions being like, oh, it was a light bulb moment. Where for me, I thought it was just so obvious. And I think that's really what it is, is that each of us bring our own unique perspective. That's why we're here. And there's this sort of professionalism that we put on in work environments or in funder conversations or in different settings that I think sometimes clouds the conversation, right? And it's just all these layers that we're actually putting between ourselves and the people who need to hear the message. And so whatever way you need to say it, if you're loud, if you're quiet, if you are got all your professional words together, or you just need to say it how it comes out organically, say the thing, because that's what your contribution is and people need to hear it. And yeah, I think it's really about that. I think so often too, those individuals who are the closest to the challenge or to the problem are oftentimes the closest to the solution because they can see it, they're experiencing it. And so capturing those voices and creating the space for those individuals to share really just creates better problem solving and creativity and collaboration. And I love that you create that space. I think that there is so much talent in our communities too. And the lived experience does matter. I I feel like when we talk about diversity, we talk about, oh, all voices are needed. And it feels maybe sometimes like a values thing. And I think actually it's very practical and it's very strategic. So in the climate space, for instance, this is a massive global problem. We literally do need all ideas, all solutions at the table. And we don't know what we're missing when they're not there. We actually don't know. But from working with so many of these entrepreneurs and innovators, one of the gentlemen, Reginald Parker, who Uh leads Optimal Technology Corporation, he invented the most energy efficient solar panel on the market. And by the way, it's cheaper to produce and made in the United States. All of those things. And when you hear the way he tinkered with the technology to actually make that possible, it goes back to a story of him taking a photo for his high school yearbook when he was in high school. And the photographer didn't know how to take the photo. Not everyone can photograph Black people. And so his photo came out just like a black blob, basically, right? He couldn't see the features of his face. And he just insisted this was not going to be his yearbook photo. So we went home and he talked to his uncle and they set up cameras at home and retook his photo. And he got his photo back, of course. And yes, you can see his face. You can yes. see when it's a proper photo. And he asked his uncle at the time, how is it that we had lighting and all of the sort of equipment at school too, but my photo was terrible. 
And his uncle talked about the difference in how you can bounce different sorts of light or whatever so that it pulls out the undertones and all of this sort Mm -hmm. of science-based stuff about how light works. And so fast forward many years later, as he was working in the solar industry and realizing that the solar panels that the industry was using just actually weren't very efficient at the time. I think we were only capturing 17% of the sun's energy at that time that he was working in it. There's got to be a better way. And so it was the lesson that he learned from that that actually led him to play with the technologies in the ways that he has to where now it's got a superior product, right? (laughs) So it's just that. And it happened from that very real thing that was just part of his life. Wow. The unique experiences people have and diverse backgrounds and and those lived moments that you speak to, those literally bring thinking and ideas and problem solving that you're not going to have when you sit in a room full of all the same minded, shared, experienced individuals. So I love that. I want to shift gears just a little bit. I just have a couple more questions for you. One of the things I want to be able to dive into, because I know individuals watching this, listening to this conversation right now are curious about what does this look like to engage our donors and our constituents and our community in the conversation around the unique impact that our organization is having? I'm curious if you can share a little bit about how Dream.org invites their donors and their constituents to be collaborators beyond just being donors to the organization and starting to align them more with the mission's values and impact. Yeah, I think it's really important. Just like anything that you would do in the field to organize coalitions behind a campaign or a project that you want to get off the ground, we have to engage and organize our donors. And they're not just dollar signs. So most of the people that we work with are actually going to be... Most of the people we work with are actually going to be the program officer or the other people who it's not even actually their money. These are people who go to work in these industries because they too want to feel like they are part of something greater than themselves. And so I think what we can offer as a nonprofit, being that vehicle essentially for creating that change is that they can feel a part of it. And I think for me, that's fundamentally important to actually being able to raise the most money you've ever been able to raise. When we see in the nonprofit sector, if you see a donor as being someone that has a resource that you need, And you as a person who needs the thing they have, then you right away solidified that power dynamic that exists. And it's just not a good place ever to start from when asking for money. And so I like to think about the other kinds of things that people also can contribute, right? And foundations have a lot of access to strategy dollars and communications, polling and all sorts of things. So Ask them for the intel that you need. Ask them what they're seeing in the field. Ask them who else you should talk to who might be interested in this work. And definitely ask them for money, right? But if you see them first as a partner and a collaborator and that you are in the same, in pursuit of the same goal, Mm -hmm. then the conversation will be fundamentally different. And I really do believe that's actually how the wallets open up is when people really get it. They're in it together. You're in it with them. Lead with that relationship and that experience and the dollars and the loyalty will follow. And I think what's so incredible about that is you have really created this unique opportunity for individuals to find their voice and in turn become advocates mm-hmm. on behalf of Dream.org's mission, which when you get to advocate on behalf of something and stand firm in your beliefs for an organization doing such incredible work, you want to see that, ex- that it succeed and grow and 
Oftentimes that means using my voice and making a gift. Mm-hmm. So I, I think what they definitely go hand in hand. I had a chance to be on the phone with Jeff Bezos, right? Founder of Amazon, one of the mm-hmm. richest people in the world. I never, ever in my wildest dreams thought that, that was going to happen. <laughs> and suddenly I had, we got a phone call that he wanted to talk to us about our Green for All program. And so within days, we were going to be on the phone and able to make a pitch, basically. And I remember sitting there as someone who like came from a middle-class family. I was the first in my family to go to college. We've already talked about how I didn't even graduate high school, right? Uh, The glow up is great, okay? But here I was going to have this opportunity and I thought, how do you ask a person for that? And the, the power dynamic is just fundamentally different too. And I remember before I even knew exactly how I wanted to pitch what we could do and the big ideas, that I would call him Jeff. Yeah. And I did. That's how we opened because I said, I just need to set the tone for myself that this is a person who cares about climate change. He has yeah. the ability to do something. And let me just talk to him like a person to a person who cares about the same issue and what we can achieve together. And I can't say that's why he gave us funding at all, but I think that those little things do matter to show up um, in the right spirit. Circling back to where we started authenticity. When you can connect with people on a human level and it's genuine and real and sincere, I think it creates such a different type of connection and brings people who have that shared passion together. Start human and stay human. For individuals wanting to learn a little bit more or be able to take this journey within their own organizations, I'm really excited to be able to share that you are going to be offering coaching services. Could you tell the group a little bit more about that? Yes. I am so excited to be doing this, actually. I've worked in the social impact sector for a while. I've gotten a chance to raise millions of tens of millions of dollars for social causes, work work with some of the biggest brands like Amazon and Google Nest, uh, Earth-friendly products, and even celebrity influencers to raise awareness. And I've really just seen what growth and scale and getting rid of our limiting beliefs can do. And so I feel really called to help other social change makers play bigger. And my new company, through my new company, I'm offering strategy and change management, consulting and fundraising coaching to help people take their big ideas and turn them into massive impact while giving you more freedom. And I think that's so important that when we're passionate about social cause work, we can often become so dedicated and give all of our life to this work. But there is a way, there is a way to play bigger, to scale impact, and to still maintain and actually have more freedom. And so you can learn more or book a free consult at itsmichelleromero.com. Excellent. itsmichelleromero.com. Thank you so much, Michelle. I can't wait to check it out. I'm so grateful for you taking the time today and letting us dive into transformative change and scaling and embracing authenticity. This has been an incredible conversation and we look forward to continuing the dialogue in the weeks and months to come. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you, Whitney. Whitney.